Welcome to Honestly Haunted. Honestly Haunted. We're your hosts, Erin Grogan and Abby Chowning. This week, we're heading to Connecticut to talk about the haunting of the Snedeker family, otherwise known as the true story behind the 2009 film, A Haunting in Connecticut. The true story takes place in 1986, but as a note before we go too far into the story, there has been some fabrication, both based on hearsay from before the film and after the film fictionalized events further. We've tried our best to stick to the stories that are told by the family and repeated several places and are not based on the film alone. So, in 1986, Carmen and Al Snedeker moved their family three sons and a daughter, to a Connecticut town called Southington. It's a small area and specifically close to a hospital, which was the primary reason for their move, because their oldest son, Philip, needed to to receive cancer treatment. Specifically, he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. He was getting treated at the Yukon University Hospital. What the Snedekers didn't know upon moving into their new home was that it used to be a funeral parlor, The beautiful, large, and surprisingly cheap home had been the Hallahan Funeral Home back in the 1920s. (laughs) Cheap. Wonder why. Mm, I I have doubts already. Upon moving in, the children began to explore the house, and when they got to the basement, they were terrified. They found mortuary equipment left behind. They found coffin handles, embalming tables and tools, a chain and pulley casket lift, and a blood drainage pit. Which is a lovely... Anytime you find a pit in your house, it's not so good. They also found toe tags and some images of dead bodies that were meant for cataloging. Ugh. Yeah. Would you ever live in a place that used to be a funeral parlor? I don't think so. I don't know. Like, it just... Not if, like, the tools of the trade were still, like, hanging out in the house. Like, if it had been, like, cleaned out and refurbished, might bring somebody in to bless that place. But, like, generally, though, like... Funeral homes are supposed to be, like, pretty peaceful places. But, like, True. There's not enraged. I would assume, like, not enraged spirits might be lingering, like, there, right? It's supposed to be kind That's of... That's true. Like, everyone there is being laid to rest, right? Like, it should be, right. like, a peaceful thing. So, I, I'm not going to... a good I said, I said flat out no, but I, I think if it was refurbished and didn't have, like, some sort of, like, naughty... Uh, like heritage of like corruption or right. bad practices done via the morticians, like then yeah, I, I probably could make that work. Yeah. Not my first choice by any means. I mean, this story and that and the film, the the exorcism of Jane Doe that we watched, make yes. me want to say hard no. Oh, that one was terrifying. Um, yeah, but I. I, I don't know. I feel like in reality, I think you're right. I mean, if by the time it was refurbished into a home, may- maybe? Yeah. It would depend. It would and definitely like, depend. Like, a lot of time, like, the first funeral homes, like, well, they're not the first, they weren't, they were homes. Like, people would right. have the visitations in their own House. houses. Like, that's what they, a lot of places, like, they, we call it, like, the morning room, but mm-hmm. it, we would, it's <gasps> actually not a M-O-R-N, it's M-O-U-R-N, and it's usually the room that faces east that has 
Like that that's, just blew my mind. Isn't that crazy? I've literally, you know that? I literally didn't know that. We call it, yeah, people call it the morning room now, but it's because that's where the sunlight comes in and it's like the morning, east, but it's it was lovely. The morning but it was actually room. the room, it was usually the largest room in the house other than like the bedrooms <gasps> where people could come in and do Ooh. visitation of bodies that were. Spooky. Yeah. So that's where, those were like, that's when like the first funeral homes were actually like looked like ha- were houses or like looked I mean, like houses. I feel like most of them still kind of do that. They like do. I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of ones that were in like my hometown and mm-hmm. stuff. Which have I talked about the like famous funeral home I don't chain think so. back home? It's a chain. Well, ch- chain is uh, it. There's a couple of them. There's at least two or three in the area. But the fam, <laughs> it's it's am I gone funeral home. Oh. The last name is Migany. I'm pretty like, oh, but but Mickey. it's okay. But it's am I gone funeral mm. home? Well, okay. <laughs> and also, I don't. I I genuinely don't know how they pronounce it. I know they don't pronounce it. Am I gone? They might pronounce it Emigon or something like a Migany or a Migany. I don't. I literally don't know because everyone only knows it as Am I gone? Yeah. Because Am I gone funeral? They saw their opportunity and ran I mean, with it. somebody in that family was like, this is going to be the family business. This How is, can I not? This is what it's got to be. It's like people <laughs> whose last name is Plumber. And or... they're like, well, that's my life. <laughs> that's that just has... what I am chosen. Yeah. Well, isn't that like true of last names anyway? That it you, Yeah, it I mean, it used to be. Yeah, like, like Black used to be like, like if you had the last name Black, it was usually that you were what? Like the, the Smith. Sto- Smith. Smith. Yeah, the Blacksmith. Yeah. Um, Mason. Yeah. Exactly. What? They were the Mason. My, Carpenter. Carpenter. My maiden name is Roberts. So. So. Hmm. Theft. <laughs> there we go. That's that's it. I missed my calling. I don't know what Grogan is. I don't know. Grow again. It's not. We'll no. work on it. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Anyway. <laughs> Back to so, the story. So while the Snedekers were spooked at first with all the equipment that they found, they quickly converted the basement into a bedroom for two of their sons, including Philip. I wouldn't like that. But but from the very first night after sleeping in that basement, Philip began to act strangely and claim he had experienced some odd happenings. I mean, yeah, you freaking made people sleep in the place where they found pictures of dead bodies and casket things. Yeah. Uh... First, Philip said he he heard strange voices and sounds, but it quickly moved from sounds to full figures. He described shadow figures lurking about, and even a man who he could see wearing a pinstripe a pinstriped suit with white hair walking around the basement and staring right at Philip. Philip was so frightened by these visions and sounds that he begged his parents to let him stay at the hospital where he was getting treatment rather than come home. It's here that maybe we should remind you that Philip was getting cancer treatment, which is no joke. And specifically, he was getting a cobalt treatment, which is said to have hallucinatory side effects. So, his parents dismissed his visions as part of the side effects for a while. At first. But Philip continued to change, and his personality altered as time went on. He wore dark and gloomy clothing and appeared to gain an interest in the occult, which is not necessarily bad. Hello, our literal podcast. Yeah. Uh, But he also began to get violent, which is not Which we don't do. Not so much us. Philip broke into his neighbor's home to steal a gun, which he then used to threaten Al. His parents urged him to start keeping a journal to jot down his thoughts and emotions. He did so, and they thought... Well, this is a great outlet. Until they read the poetry inside, which described in great detail 
acts of necrophilia. The final straw came when one of his cousins was staying with him and he snuck into her room and tried to rape her. He was caught and his parents immediately called the police. The police arrested Philip and brought him into custody in a medical facility for evaluation. Some of this could be chalked up to the horrible things cancer and cancer treatment both can do to a person. Not that it ever excuses sexual assault. I want to be clear there. That's not what I'm saying. But what we are saying is that Philip's change might have been because of that potentially alone. alone. But it's hard to say that with authority because things begin to happen to other members of the family even after this person who was causing trouble has left. Carmen, the mother, began to notice things going missing almost immediately after moving in, but for a long time assumed it was a side effect of living with kids. But then her other children began to tell her that they saw strange people in the house and heard strange whispering that they could never quite make out. Carmen said that eventually swarms of crows would come to the house, cawing uncontrollably and staring at the home. These were far larger groups and much more frequent visitors than crows would normally be in the area. One night, Carmen woke up in the middle of the night and felt a negative force. She then felt cold hands under her pajamas, tugging on her bra. She claims that the she claims that she believes a ghost or a demonic being was sexually assaulting her. This claim goes even further when another one of her nieces who was staying at the home then came out and told the family a demon had raped her during the night. Later, even Al said he too had had an experience where he felt a negative presence following him all day, and that night he believed he was also raped by a demon. Carmen claimed that she would catch glimpses of the scent of rotting flesh and sulfur throughout the day in their home, but she would never be able to pinpoint it to a space or item, and it would then disappear. As we know, sulfur is often the scent calling card of a demon. Another incident happened while Carmen mopped the home. Half the room had been mopped when suddenly the water turned to blood and Carmen looked around and saw her room full of blood where she had already mopped. She screamed and the kids came running, but the blood turned back into water on their arrival. Al's personality also began to change. He became angry more often and drank more frequently. The whole family had taken to leaving the lights on while they slept to feel safer. And in fits of rage, Al would walk through the home pulling light bulbs out of sockets. We're unclear of the exact timeline here, but after receiving a diagnosis of schizophrenia and getting treatment for a period of time, Philip was also released and able to return home, supposedly doing much better. We found one report that claimed he was only gone for 45 days. Which I have to question how much better one can be be. after only that long. So after this series of events and only increasing activity... Carmen reached out to Ed and Lorraine Warren. Love them. (laughs) We've talked about the Warrens briefly here before a couple of times, and they were a couple who did paranormal investigation, and Lorraine was a medium. They wrote several books on the paranormal and places they visited, and several of those, including this one, became films. The most famous films based on the Warrens are likely Amityville Horror and The Conjuring series. Ed and Lorraine brought a small group of investigators with them to the house, and they stayed for several weeks. During this time, the entire group was said to have experienced physical beating from demons, which included slapping, pushing, and even more. The Warrens did several attempts to speak with the spirits in the home, and they claimed to find out that one of the undertakers for when this home was a funeral house was actually convicted of necrophilia. This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Untoward practices (laughs) from the mortuary. No. (laughs) No. No, no, thank you. No. 
It's important to note that this hasn't been substantiated. Still. But the Warrens believed that this force had entered Philip's body and was also causing destruction to the family. So basically, they got in contact with the spirit that admitted to this. To doing that. And yeah. Hmm. I mean, that that to me might be enough to be like, mm, no, probably yeah. not. Love it, but thanks. Bye. We're, yeah, no. Warrens ordered a full-scale exorcism of the house and property in 1988, which they claimed was successful and banished all evil from the home. The Snedeker family moved away from the home not long after that and all lived relatively normal lives. Philip went into remission. He had a job and four children, but he died in 2012 when his cancer returned. Carmen actually became a spiritual advisor although I couldn't really find more details on what, what that, that entailed, yeah. uh, and continued to work in the realm of spiritualism. Not long after the incidents, the family and the Warrens commissioned horror fiction writer Ray Garten to write the true story about these events. He did publish a book, but years later he recanted and said it was all a fiction. Specifically, he recalled telling Ed that he was having trouble writing the story because of inconsistencies with the varying family members' accounts, and he claimed that Ed responded to him by saying, Oh, they're crazy. You've got some of the story. Just use what works and make up the rest. Just make it up and make it scary. The family fully denied this, though, and have denounced Ray for these comments. The family did numerous interviews in the years after, and a documentary documentary was released in the early 2000s. They have always stood by their stories and claimed that they were very much haunted. The film The Haunting in Connecticut is based on this story, but names were changed as well as many of the events. So just to be clear, this film is a fictionalized version of the story that ends with the house in flames and demons being purged by fire. The house, however, never burnt down. The owner of the home after the Snedekers left lived there for many years and said, We've lived in the house for 10 years. Our house is wonderful. This is all Hollywood foolishness. The stories are all ludicrous. Which, to be fair, would be expected if you believe the Warrens did actually succeed in their exorcism. It's true. But there are other reasons to be skeptical. The Snedekers rented their home, and the homeowner, when they were renting, claims that they were behind on their rent when the activities escalated, and that the family moved out just before eviction proceedings were complete. This home was also a duplex, and the other family who lived there never once claimed to be plagued by the same problems. When this neighbor was asked by a news reporter why the Snedekers would make this up, she replied with the only with only one word, money. Some people believe that the real problem here was Philip, and that his increasingly violent ways were actually what was haunting the home and family. The repeated sexual attacks in the family members' stories make some people believe that perhaps Philip was the one doing these attacks the whole time. They believe that the family may have been conflicted about getting him in legal trouble due to his cancer treatment. So they began to fabricate stories to keep Philip out of jail. Or even further, these stories might have been a psychological coping mechanism for the family that was enduring this abuse. Others say that since the family was financially in trouble, that actually explains why they would have stayed in such a haunted house, basically out of need. A different neighbor recalled many nights where she would see the family outside on the lawn in the middle of the night, and when asked why, the family members would tell her that they couldn't go back in and would appear frightened, as if they were dealing with a particular paranormal event or trying to wait it out because they simply had nowhere else to go. That same neighbor claimed to have seen glowing green lights come from the house on occasion and to feel a negative force when 
whenever she visited the home. She later claimed that the media, uh, she later claimed to the media that she was suspicious of how large the story got, but she did not believe it was entirely fake. She believed that the core of the story was truth. Of course, the Warrens themselves have been the subject of much debate regarding how much of their stories are truth or fiction. So whether you believe this family was haunted or dealing with abuse or a bit of both, this is the story of the Snedeker's haunting. Which I... I don't know. Yeah, it. I feel like I keep going back and forth yeah. between those stories. First of all, the mop being... The mop blood, the, the water Lots turning of, yeah. into blood thing... That is a terrifying image that I can see in my mind. Yeah. And so that is one thing that was replicated in the film. And right. so some people were like, well, was that just from the film? But Carmen has come out and said that that was a true event that, that happened to her, that she reported on before the film was created. Right. And so the, the fact that it is very... Um, theatrical is, yes. is I guess a coincidence or good for the movie but that right. part t is terrifying the the other thing I think is like there was a lot of focus on the visions that Philip was having but eventually all of the family members started to have visions right so if we are going to chalk this up only to the psychological at that point we're jumping into the realm of like group visions and yeah. group hallucinations which is fascinating but like also a whole different whole different thing right and i guess i there's again there's there's plenty of reports of activity paranormal activity like we've got that across the board but i guess i think i understand why they were struggling with like the inconsistencies of it because right. there's so many different like First it's demonic, then it's spiritual, yeah. then there's apparitions, then there's not really quite full-blown, um, uh, what's the word, possessions, but there yeah. is a heavy, dark influence of spirit. So it's like, while I, I think I would believe that all those things can and do happen, I wonder, like, what is the probability of them all happening, happening at once in the same house? That's true. That's true. It's like there wasn't one mainline story. Ray Garten, like, when he was saying that he was having trouble getting stories straight from family members, he also mentioned that part of the reason it was difficult was drug dependency and alcohol dependency and things like that as well. Which, I again, I feel like could be seen in two different ways. It could either be this family is being haunted and so they are being heavily influenced being he yeah by... so so the negative forces are making them do this or they're coping with it by drinking more and all of that stuff or it could be the other way that their drinking and drug use is is creating and fabricating some of this as well so it could be seen in either one of those lenses and i don't quite know where i stand on that but i do think that at at the core of that we can recognize that it's it's more than just Philip at this point. Like right. something is happening to the whole family, whether it be all of the stress of emotional, psychological, financial issues yeah. affecting each and every family member, abuse, things like that, yeah. or that something is haunting this home where they all live. I know. I don't. I don't really know. Ex like, but you're right. I mean, the like they say that it's a demon. They feel like, especially the sexual assault things, but then when the Warrens come, they say specifically it is the spirit of this old undertaker 
that is possessing Philip and then Mm -hmm. making all this trouble in the house. And those are two different things. Right. Yeah. And, And I also wonder, like, I'd be curious to know... We talked a little bit about his treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma and what those repercussions, if it made him, like, more susceptible to these things or if it's, like, the sole, like, I don't know. Well, they do, like, people, people do say that children and the sick are more susceptible to the paranormal. Like, they're closer to the veil or, like, the veil is thinner for them. Yeah. So that is one way to look at it. I mean, if he was... Uh, he was sick, he was getting treatment, perhaps that opened him up to more of this paranormal activity. Granted, he was also diagnosed with schizophrenia, and we've talked about that before, too, this kind of thin line that we want to tread between recognizing and, like, helping mental wellness, but also still believing a bit and and not always knowing where and not explaining away something entirely that could be a little bit of both yeah and in this situation i mean i don't think there's a ton of reports on philip's personality you know before the this move right um i'm I'm sure he had one (laughs) probably (laughs) but based on the fact that he grew up in either you know he was in remission managed his schizophrenia with medicine i assume yeah um or if the symptoms of that declined with age i don't know exactly how that works you know, but um but that he went on to like live a relatively normal life all the family members went on to live a relatively yeah. normal life and so i i that's that does sort of stir up something in my mind of like what could have been going on in the house but it's not like the activity, this is where I get stuck. It's like the activity in the house is so severe. It's so vast. Like, it's so, there's so many different things going on. And then one simple exorcism rids yeah, the house that, of that those things. that gets me too. So, what, we couldn't find anything specific about what this exorcism of the property and house included. And this is actually a sticking point for quite a few people and where people kind of like draw some lines of skepticism here. Um, in a television interview with uh, with the family where Ed was also there, they were asked, asked about this. And Ed said, Father A did the exorcism. That was all he would give. And he got kind of like confrontational a little bit, like defensive mm-hmm. about the questioning. So that was the only information he gave. They were implying, if not outright saying, that there was a Catholic-sanctioned exorcism happening there. Which we've spoken about here is not easy to get. Right. (laughs) But people have checked, and, like, the diocese there has no record of Uh, an exorcism happening. mm. So either it happened off the books... Which I'm sure happens. Absolutely, I'm sure that happens. Or it didn't happen with the church. Like, it didn't happen with a priest. So so maybe they were doing their own, and maybe they don't want to admit that they were doing exorcisms without priests. Yeah. Both both Ed and Lorraine were very religious people through their whole life. They like they always kind of had that thread of, of religion through their practice and their work. It's possible that they felt like they could do their own yeah. things uh maybe i don't know or the third option is of course that there was no exorcism that that didn't happen and that they lied that they lied yeah yeah 
I get, yeah, that get, gets, gets confusing because it's like, it's one of those things if, if whoever term, like whoever coined the term gets to like claim its authenticity. So it's like who, like if the Catholic church were the first people to do an right. exorcism, is it only an exorcism if it's done by a Catholic priest or right. can and, it be done? And I think that's, I think that's also interesting because, so my personal view on this, and this is just a personal view, which means it, it could I don't care. Like, other people can view it differently. <laughs> when I think of exorcism in the typical sense, the reason I also tie it to the Catholic Church is because it's tied to Catholic, like, ideology and, and um, iconology. Yeah. Like, the rosary and specific numbers of prayers like the rosary and, spe- like like, very specific things to Catholicism. Yeah. It is... A script in a way there is, is there is yeah. a catholic script for an exorcism that being said i 100 percent believe the idea of exorcisms exists outside of the catholic church yeah i mean i think of i think of like uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna get this wrong so i don't i'm not there is a caribbean religion and i'm not gonna say it because the one I'm thinking might be wrong and I don't want to like offend anybody who, who may be part of that religion. Um, there is a religion that or originated in the Caribbean that has a practice similar to an exorcism, which is about, you know, getting a spirit out of a person. I know that is incredibly vague, <laughs> but, sure. but I don't know enough about it to speak like educatedly about it. And I don't want to give false information. Um, but I remember reading about it and, and while they don't do, they don't follow the Catholic script. They don't have a, they don't have a Catholic priest. I wouldn't say that it wasn't an exorcism, but it's also not the thing that comes to mind for me first when yeah. I hear about somebody performing an exorcism. Yeah. Does that make any sense? No, it does. <laughs> it does. And, and while I think the word exorcism does evoke a lot of religious iconography for me, yeah. especially, mostly, mainly Catholic, because in the Protestant church, it's not really a thing. Like, right. it's not necessarily believed. Mostly, it, it also comes down, like, just depending on the denomination within Protestantism, it's also along the lines of, like, that humans... So there's a, a line of thinking within some some sects of the denomination, like the Protestant church, that after Jesus left the earth and his apostles died, the ones who had, had direct interaction mm-hmm. with him, that humans were no longer allowed or able to perform miracles. I.e., oh. they couldn't technically do exorcists that's kind of lame it's a thing it's a thing though <laughs> I, yeah. I i am not saying that it's lame <laughs> of people to believe it i'm just saying like if that's true that's kind of lame which is miracles which is not world. to say that miracles can't happen <laughs> it just means that humans don't okay. have the ability to, to perform make them. them happen to other people or to themselves or something like that yeah i'm not saying i agree like with there are protestant saints right or are there not, not. No, really, like I I was always a little confused about that. Actually, it's, it's hard to say because it's like like in the Lutheran Church, like it's basically by the book Catholicism, but they don't believe in the Pope. Yeah. So, but it's like I wonder if like they would be considered Protestants or because they're not Catholics, but they're not Protestants either. Because I mean, aren't they kind of the first Protestants? I would say like Lutherans. <laughs> like, like <'cause laughs> didn't Protestant come from protesting? 
Yeah. But, so, like, aren't Lutherans, but, as in, like, 95 Thesis and a Pope ain't one. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's like, do they, but they still honor the saints. Oh, I don't know. I don't know for sure either. So, I don't know. Lutheran friends, let us let know. Let us know. But the, it's this, again, it's this idea of, like, exorcist. The, the reason I ask yeah. is because one thing I know about at least Catholic saints, which may or may not be the only saints, because we don't really know. Maybe not. Um... And that that might sound really stupid to people of other religions. They might be like, obviously not, or whatever. Open a book. (laughs) Um, But one thing that I know for, like, how to, like, if somebody wants to be made into a saint, or people want to make somebody into a saint, there has to be a proof of them doing a miracle. Right. Which is why I asked, because, like, for example, to, to... uh, I mean, like, there has to be, I, I think people were trying to prove, like, Saint, like, our, our Mother Teresa was a saint, was a saint, because she performed a miracle. There's other steps to it, too, yeah. um, but that is one of the steps, like, there has to be some sort of living miracle through them. Through them. So that's the thing, like, within, at least my understanding of growing up in a denomination of the Protestant faith, there were no saints. We could no longer perform miracles. Not to say they couldn't happen. And I believe miracles can happen, so there's that for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> but it's like the apostles, John the Baptist, like that. Those are like the core figures, like that we would equate saint-like status to. Mm, I guess, got in the pro- it. but we don't call them saints. They're just the apostles or anybody who is directly correlated with. They're the a miracles, figure of importance, but not with correlated with the miracles of Jesus Christ. Whereas in Catholicism, technically, like. <laughs> this ain't gonna happen, but, like, I could be made a Catholic saint <laughs> if I had um, uh, made a miracle happen and other things. Like, I, I think if my body didn't decay in a certain amount of time or Ew. something, like, there, there's something with that, too, about the body preservation thing. I don't know all the steps it well, takes, but technically what I meant by that, not that I could become a saint, because that's not going to happen, but that, like, modern people could still become become saints in the in the eyes of the Catholic Church. Interesting. Well, all that to say... Yeah, like, this is a bit of a tangent, tangent but it was an interesting but one. But it, it, we haven't talked a lot about it. Like, occasionally exorcism comes up, and, yes. we, and we, we have talked a lot about it from, from that proponent, but the idea of this family experiencing possibly an exorcism that was enough also of a house and property too which is a different thing different yeah it's not a person that's being exercised that's what i wonder too if like a lot of times they say it's the strength it takes strong a very strong demon to fully possess a human yeah and so it sounds like if if this house is indeed haunted and we'll get to what our verdict is here in a little bit if it is indeed it meant that it might have been full of a lot of kind of low key like like not high up on the totem pole demon activity or presence of not at rest spirit activity right. human energy left at bay um and if that's what they were dealing with maybe one low like one soul exorcism would be enough to cleanse the house and empty it and that there was no real attachment to the house itself it was just the horrible energy of yeah. that one human who did horrible things while in the home right i also i found myself getting frustrated doing during the research because there was no information about the exorcism yeah and And i want to know how a property is exercised i mean like i'm what i'm wondering here is like 
Did they sage the house and call it a day? Yeah. Ed said some Father A came in. Did they perform the exorcist rites of the Catholic Church? Did they, like, what, I want to know what they did that was such a success that... Because it almost doesn't even sound like an exorcism at that point. It sounds like they blessed the home. Right. And we've heard that term a million times. Lots of people do that. But that sounds like a very different thing. Yeah. And and they and the Warrens were so outright about the fact that that this was a demonic house and a negative place and it was attacking the family. Right. That it doesn't seem like a blessing would be enough at that point. Yeah. And it sounded like when some of the activity happened, I know they were like, a lot of people were like, oh, Philip was the one responsible for the violence in the home. Right. It sounded like some of it still occurred when he wasn't in the home. Right. Right. Again, we were a little confused on the timeline. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's unclear. It sounds like, at at least in their kind of retellings of it, it sounds like at least activity continued while he wasn't there. It is unclear if the demonic assaults occurred while he was gone or not. And I I feel like that is a little bit of a key. That is key. But we couldn't find it. So. I think that probably brings us to our verdict. I agree. I'm going to say. Honestly, honestly, not not haunted. haunted. Me too. Yeah. And it's. It's hard, too, especially since we're dealing with one that's so popular. Um, it was made into a film. So one that was so popular, like a story that likely was made more popular by the Warrens. Yes. I would assume. But the family was also so willing to share the story. And I find like yeah. a lot of times when people go through something so, if it was so traumatic. They, they don't want to talk about, talk about it that about much. It. And they drop off the radar. They're like, nope. Well, yeah, and the mom becoming a spiritual advisor afterward. So, here's the thing. I used to love Ed and Lorraine Warren, and I thought they were fascinating. I still think they're fascinating. Yes, that's true. Okay, (laughs) to be fair, I still think they're fascinating, too. I used to believe in them, let me say. And the more and more research I have done about them, more that has come to light about them and their time with certain things, the the more, let's say, disenchanted I have become with Ed and Lorraine Warren, Um, which is kind of sad. I feel like a little bit of my, like, childhood paranormal self is sad about this. Yeah. But all that to say is, like, I do think that they often elevated some of their experiences and stories for money. Yeah. And I feel like some of that was happening here. And I feel like there might have been some taking advantage of a a family in pain. Like, here's here's where I kind of come down to the haunting. I'm kind of on the side of people who think it was Philip doing the sexual abuse. Yeah. And the reason I think that is because there was so much focus on him. And then once he got arrested, it seemed like, oh, but there are other stories too, guys. Yeah. And I, to be clear, I always think sexual assault should be stopped and reported. But I can understand why parents 
who have a son going, a, a teenage son going through cancer treatment could feel twisted, conflicted, confused, upset, angry, all of the above when that child is then doing something to other children and people and themselves as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And and feel like they don't know what is right. Yeah. I I, I want to be clear. I think them reporting to the pol- to the police is right. Is what right. is right. I can understand why that's difficult. They're also trying to protect yes. this very and vulnerable, sick child. That like yeah. he is the one putting people in danger, but at the same time is also a vulnerable person himself in a yeah. different way. And like that is that makes things complicated and and emotionally difficult yeah as like as a parent like how you would handle that it'd be yeah unbelievably challenging um especially and and i the reason that i i fall to that is because the three people reporting the sexual assault are the parents and a cousin and it's the cousin that gets him arrested right and to me that feels like parents being like we'll deal with what we're dealing with for our son and then when it's the cousin they they can't anymore. They can't. They can't it's, it's gone too far. It's, it, they can't say that they'll take it themselves because it's another person now. It's a child now. Right. And so I feel like that, that to me is what makes me believe that. The fact that those three are the ones reporting it, but it's the cousin that gets him in legal trouble. That makes me feel like I can understand why some of this surrounded those events. Yeah. And, and to say that if, if Philip always had schizophrenia, but his cancer treatment aggravated it to us yeah. to a point. And, and again, I don't know the statistics on schizophrenia and how many act in violent. Who, who, it often, yeah. it often comes out in young men in the late teens to early twenties right. as in, in episodes. In, so, yeah. So I, I, I think I, I'm inclined to agree with you there yeah. that it, it could have been made worse by his cancer treatment or by moving. Yeah. Completely. Any of the above. Any yeah. of the above. Um, any of number of those things. And that the family saw fit to try to make it work. And, and while I, the neighbor who said that she saw them standing out in the cold on nights where it was bad, who's like, to say that wasn't because Philip was having an episode, an episode and they needed to, and they, to get out of the house. Exactly. I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. The other piece of that too, is that after Philip was arrested, he admitted to having tried to be inappropriate with his cousins and other people right. before as well, which is what kind of like, put the nail in the coffin to, mm-hmm. so to say um for for that and and so the fact that he admitted to that after that happened part of me is inclined to believe a couple of things one it was that weird mix of emotions of wanting to protect someone but also there are a lot of other kids in that house yeah and so Lots of people to protect it's like do i tell these other kids that their brother is sexually assaulting people or do i create a reason why he's different and why he had to go away and all of that because it's easier maybe on them and on me than admitting the truth yeah and yeah yeah that's that's a good point and and again like it's one of those things like you don't know how you're gonna react until you're in that situation and so I don't know. I, it's it's hard because it's like I I wanted to believe people who are in this situation, um, but this time I feel like it maybe it got out of their control. Yeah, and I also feel like this whole family was vulnerable. So I also want to put a point to like 
in reading and doing research, and I think like we've even mentioned it a couple times, you will read a lot of people being like, oh, they were just out for money. They were money yeah. grubbers. All they cared about was money, blah, blah, blah. I would like to preface that with like, if they were trying to get financial gain out of this, I don't want to frame them in a money grubber way. I want to frame them as a vulnerable group of people going through a lot of difficult things who saw an opportunity to potentially help them in this really, really terrible, awful time. And then they were also taken advantage of by people like Ed and Lorraine Warren, who mm -hmm. also profited off of these things and probably taken in and made to believe what they were thinking and doing even more because they had that backup. Yeah. And so like, I want to be clear that I am not framing this as these are bad people. I think this was a situation where there were a lot of vulnerable people who were taken advantage of yeah. by each other, circumstances, and a lot of things. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it probably just, by the time it was too late, it just had gotten too far away from them. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, people, like, when your kids are involved, like, people are going to do oh, whatever yeah. they need to do. And also the fact that they still say these things happened today, I feel like, I mean, some of these were, people were kids when it was happening. It's very possible they think those things were happening. And I mean, if you're told something enough, like you, you, you like, tend to believe it. And like, if, you, if you're lied to enough, yeah. you know, you start to remember, misremember things. Yeah. And also our brains protect us in a weird yes. way a lot of times like when there's trauma or s scary events or you're told something by someone that you love like something to calm you down sometimes our brains almost like it's almost like they heal around like yeah a, say like a pebbles in your head of an event that happened that's they traumatic. heal around it, it heals around it, it doesn't like it, push it's it always out. there yeah. but it's still like it's not correct information but your brain is still gonna remember it to protect itself yeah which is really interesting too so, still a very interesting haunted story. Yeah, that I have to say, I thought when we started this, I thought I was going to err on the side of haunted. What, like you, you, you think that a film is tied to it, Ed and Lorraine Warren are tied to it. You have some preconceived notions coming into things like that. For sure. But um, yeah, not in but this, this case. Time, but this time, yeah, I just there's. These things happen, and they, there's these, like, stories that get kind of out of control and spiral, and, and you know, who, who's to say that, like, the events that occurred haven't become, like, local legend, True. and that things have stemmed from the local oh, legend. Oh, and we've talked about that in other episodes. Yeah, you give something yeah. power long enough, eventually the power is going to uh, stick around. So, well, and on that note, guys, thanks so much again for listening, and we'll be back with more Honestly Haunted. Thank you, as always, for listening to Honestly Haunted. Please follow us on social media at Honestly Haunted, and consider becoming a Patreon supporter to help us continue to grow. If you haven't already, leave us a five-star review. We'll be back with more Honestly Haunted. Little Rod Steve.